Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, where the Lord Jesus spoke with Peter about the keys of heaven. He also spoke with Peter about the subject of binding and loosing, and in the previous program, I explained what I believe Peter would have understood when Jesus was talking with him about the subject of binding and loosing, that probably the most important thing that Peter would have understood was that he would be set free from the judicial and legislative power of the Pharisees. I believe that that would be the first thing that he would be thinking about, that I really don't think that he would be considering whether or not he would be binding or loosing demons. I don't think that is what... Jesus was intending to convey, but that there are many people who do believe that that was what he was intending to say. But I believe that the keys of heaven that Jesus was referring to were the keys that would open the door so that people could be saved. I believe that this was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 when Peter opened the door for the Jews, and in Acts chapter 10 when he opened the door for the Gentiles to be saved. At that time, I believe that this prophecy that the Lord Jesus gave to Peter relevant to the keys was fulfilled. But instead of thinking about this, what people will focus on is the subject of binding and loosing. And this is what I want you to see that I was explaining in the first program in this series of programs on the subject of spiritual warfare. What I want you to see is that it's very easy to be distracted by one thing and not realize the significance of another And so I want you to see that it's important to stay focused on those things that are significant. Stay focused on those things that are certain, and it will help you to navigate through those things that are not as significant and are not as certain, but that you are still confronted with. Now, at the end of the previous program, I spoke about the subject of the gospel, that it is very important to know and to understand and to rest in, and to be able to communicate the gospel. But I have found that it's very unusual to encounter someone who really knows the gospel. Now, when I say that, let's hesitate for just a moment, because that could mean that I find it difficult to locate or to encounter a person who knows the gospel that I know, because there are many different opinions concerning what the gospel is. There are many opinions, there are different definitions, there are different things that people would perhaps like to focus on. I can say that in the context of they might have a partial gospel, not necessarily a full gospel. There are different beliefs concerning what the gospel is, and so I can say that. I can say that I find it very difficult to find a person who knows the gospel. I can say that from the point of view of the gospel that I believe in. But I can also say that from the point of view of any gospel at all. Now, I'm not just saying that just because I can say that. I actually did a survey, and I would encourage you to do this yourself. 
I think, honestly, that if you have spent a reasonable amount of time in the church, maybe 10, 15 years, if you've been exposed to many people who would consider themselves to be Christians, I think you could just simply sit down and spend some time and think about the conversations that you have had with these people, and you would probably come to the same conclusion that I'm going to present to you without going to actually conduct a survey. But if not, go. Go and visit with many different Christian churches, meet with many different people, and ask them honestly and openly, ask them the question, how would you describe the gospel? You don't have to ask them in a way that you have the answer and you're asking them to give you the answer that you want them to give you. Ask them to give you their description. How would they communicate in a simple way a definition of what the gospel is. And I have found that it is unusual to find someone who would give an answer at all. This is my experience and is the experience of many other people who have done this. And so if you don't relate to that or do not feel that you can relate to that, then you get out there a little bit more often. You expand your circle of influence. You get out there and you ask people that kind of a question and you will find that there are many different definitions of the gospel and that there are many people who have no definition at all. People will give all kinds of creative answers. They will say things like, well, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you know that's a non-answer. My favorite was when somebody said to me, well, it's something that you can kind of believe in but can't quite put into words. You know, it's one of those things that you just kind of feel in your heart. And, of course, the first thing I thought of was, gosh, I wonder how it ever left Jerusalem. All right, so people have got various answers. It is important to identify that, recognize that, but I'm telling you that this is a serious problem, and I would say that this is a great victory for the devil. A great victory for the devil that there are few people who can give an answer to the question of what is the gospel. And I mean people who call themselves Christians. For those who reject Christianity and say that they don't believe in Jesus, I can understand if they do not know what the gospel is or they can't give an answer to that question. You might find it a form of humor to ask them that question, but I can understand that. But for those who say that they are of Christ, in Christ, with Christ, they should have an answer to what is the gospel of Christ. But I want you to see this. I'm spending time with this because I want you to understand that we are at war and that this is an indication of victory and you know, victory on the part of the devil, and failure on our part to an extent in the kingdom of heaven. That our side should look at this and consider this to be an important battleground, an important aspect of the war, an important area of the war, an important part of the territory that we should seize, that we should take, and not allow the devil to have dominion over this. So I wanted to explain that from the point of view of binding and loosing and the keys of heaven in order to show you that you can get distracted by some uncertain things to an extent where you won't consider the importance of certain things. Now, I also explained in a previous program that the demons can very well provide credibility for an individual who teaches false doctrine. And the way that the demons can do this is by giving the appearance that the individual successfully casted out a demon. 
A demon can do this just simply by leaving. I hinted at this, I believe, in the first program in this series where I mentioned that you might want to be cautious and concerned. That just because a demon leaves an individual, it doesn't necessarily mean that he left so because he was forced out. He might very well have left voluntarily. That this is an uncertain, a very uncertain issue. And so in order to navigate through an issue such as this, it is more important to stay focused on the certain issues. This was an issue that was raised with Jesus. And I mentioned this circumstance. The circumstance is found in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus heals the man who was blind. He was mute. He could not speak. He was deaf. He could not hear. And I explained that the Kabbalists, who were a sect of the Pharisees, a subculture of the Pharisees, the Kabbalists believed that the only way that you could cast out a demon was if you first established communication with the demon, identify the name of the demon, and then demand that the demon depart in the name of the living God. That was the procedure by which a Kabbalist would cast out or exercise a demon from within an individual. They believed that only the Messiah could cast out a demon from a person who was blind, mute, and deaf, That's what they believed because of their procedure, because of their criteria that they believed was necessary to cast a demon out, that the Messiah could exercise the exception. That was a way that they believed they could identify the Messiah. So he does that, he fulfills that, and they still rejected the miracle that was performed. He responded by saying, well, then I'm not going to do any more in order to establish my messianic identity. I'm not going to do any more except for one, and that is that I will be in the grave for three days and three nights. But in verse 25, in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 25, it says, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. They had accused him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, by another demon. And he said that this is not possible. This would not work well. This is not in the interest of Satan. Why would he desire this to be accomplished? Well, people will look at this and they will say things like, well, now Aaron, look at this. It says that the devil is not going to cast out another demon and no demon is going to force out another demon from within an individual because the kingdom is being divided. So how can you say that a person can cast out a demon from another person and yet that person who does that who does the exorcism, is not necessarily on our side. How can you say that? Well, you have to read this a little bit more carefully. I believe that what he is saying is that the demon who leaves, if the demon leaves, it's not necessarily because he was cast out. He could have voluntarily left. Understand that the Lord Jesus is talking to experienced exorcists, experienced to the extent where they have sons. Sons, that is a way of saying that they have disciples 
who are going out and doing this under their instruction, that these are the teachers of Kabbalah, that these are the teachers of how to cast out demons. Understand that this is who he is talking to. So he is explaining to these people who cast out demons, what he is saying is that if they are casting out demons, it doesn't necessarily mean that those demons are leaving because these Kabbalists are demanding that they leave. It could very well be that the demons are leaving voluntarily to give the illusion, the deception, that these Kabbalists have authority, that these Pharisees have authority to give the illusion that they have the authority. And why would they do that? They do that because they can cause more damage through the teachings of the Pharisees. They can cause more damage through the teachings of these Kabbalists than they could probably cause by dwelling within people in such a way that it would be clear that they were possessed by demons. They can probably cause more damage, and I believe that they can. And I believe that there is an important reason why they would want the teachings of the Pharisees to be propagated, but it's going to take me a few programs in order to explain that to you. Here, at this time, I just want you to see that the Lord Jesus tells them, I believe he tells them directly, that they might think they're casting out demons, but they're not. They're not really doing that. The devil has given them the illusion that they are, but they really are not. Jesus, on the other hand, is truly casting out demons. They teach two completely different things. If I was to use the description of the gospel, they're teaching two different gospels. Two different gospels. Now, not to the extent where we would talk about the differences between the Old and the New Covenant today. The different Gospels that they were teaching at this time had to do with the law, that the Pharisees were not teaching the law to the extent that the law needed to be taught. Jesus was teaching the law to the extent that the law needed to be taught. Later, the New Covenant went into effect, and then we have a new covenant and a new Gospel That is what we live in today. Don't be confused by these things. Just understand that the Lord is creating a division between himself and everybody else, especially these guys. And he says it in such a way that they have to confess. They have to agree that they both can't be right. It could be true. It could be true that they are both casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. But it cannot be true that they are both casting out demons by the power of the Spirit of God. They can't both claim that. Now, Jesus is claiming that, and they're accusing him of being a liar. But if they want to claim that, Jesus can accuse them of being a liar too. They can both be wrong, but they can't both be right. A decision will have to be made, and I believe because of the miracle that he performed, a decision is clearly made that he cast out a demon according to their criteria that they would use in order to be able to identify the Messiah, and they are unwilling to acknowledge their own criteria that they had established. And so that's the situation at hand here. But I wanted to show you this situation in order to explain the importance of recognizing that these people really believed, the Pharisees, they really believed that they were casting out demons. But I don't believe that. I don't believe they were. 
I believe the demons were leaving voluntarily in order to give the Pharisees credibility so that they could say things like, well, now look at me. Look at me. I am a person who cast out demons. I cast them out. I engaged in spiritual warfare. I did this and I achieved victory. And because you've never experienced anything like this, I have greater authority than you do. Consider what I said in the previous program about the satanic priest who I encountered. I have not done any radio recordings where I spoke about that circumstance. Not until now. Even the first series I did on spiritual warfare, this this is a replacement of the first one, which I, I had for too long. I needed to replace it a lot earlier, but I'm replacing it now. Even in that series, I never mentioned it. I never mentioned any circumstances of my experience with dealing with demons on a personal level in this way. And the reason why I didn't do it then was because I wanted to make sure that you would not look at me as having some greater authority of some kind because I'm the guy who was able to cast out demons or I'm the guy who prayed with the satanic priest to accept the Lord. You know, things like that. I don't want you to look at circumstances such as these and let these events, let these circumstances establish credibility. Credibility is defined by the truth of the gospel, not by circumstances such as the ones I'm describing. That is not where I believe credibility or truth should be established. Let me say it in a different way. If you never encounter a demon, are you less of a Christian than I am? Are you less of a believer? Are you less capable? Are you less in any way at all because of that? Absolutely not. I am no greater, you are no lesser. And if you have encountered thousands of them above and beyond what I have and what I have dealt with personally, if you personally have dealt with that many, that doesn't mean you have any greater credibility than I do. That is not where credibility is defined. But in the world, people do think of credibility in those terms, and I believe the devil has been using it as leverage in order to propagate doctrines, teachings, beliefs that are not true, because that is where the war really is, folks. That is where the battle is. The battle is not about your flesh whether or not a demon is speaking through an individual, whether or not a demon possesses someone, whether or not a demon keeps someone from hearing or seeing with their ears or their eyes or speaking with their mouths. I have seen throats crushed by some spiritual being of some kind to prevent someone from speaking the name of Jesus. But that is not the issue that is of importance The issue that is of importance has nothing to do with the flesh. It has to do with the spirit. It has to do with the fact that a person is spiritually dead and needs to be resurrected, needs to be made spiritually alive. That is where life is. That is where resurrection is. That is where change is. And so this is why I've spent so many years presenting content and producing material to emphasize those points before I would speak about something like this because of the priority, the priority at hand. Now, I'm not saying that what I'm presenting right now has no value. I'm just saying that it is the thing that I am to do right now because it is the time to present it. 
But listen to me. The gospel is a very serious matter. You must know and understand the gospel. It must be the correct gospel, because there are many people who are teaching and promoting the wrong gospel, or no gospel at all, and this leads people into bondage, and in some cases it might prevent them from actually becoming children of God. If not them, others. And that is where the real battle is at. So what what is the battleground? Is the battleground the flesh? As I was expressing before, is the battle really about trying to keep a demon from taking over or having some control over somebody's flesh? That's not it. That is not where the battleground is. The battleground is in your mind. That is where the battleground is. There is a battle. There is a war. And it is in other places, if I was to really be complete with my definition. But for now, I just want to say that the battleground truly is, or a huge battleground, is in your mind. It is in your mind, and the battle is over the truth and the lie. That is what the battle is over. And you are the plunder in the war. The battleground is in your mind, and you are the plunder. Who is going to take you as plunder? Is it going to be the true roaring lion, the lion of Judah, who is seeking people out as prey, who will seize them in his teeth, as it was prophesied through Isaiah, who will seize people and growl should anyone try to take them out of his hand? Is it the real Messiah who is the real lion, or is it the false Messiah? Is it the pretender, the devil, who walks around like he's a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour, trying to be like God. You are the plunder. You are the prey. And the Lord is fighting over you between himself and the devil. You are a part of this battle. You must decide what you are going to believe and what you are not going to believe. So we are a part of this. We are not just some prey. We are not just some object of some kind who has no involvement in this at all. You are involved. And you had better get in touch with this. You'd better understand this. Because if you don't, it's going to be easy to be a victim. Very easy. But if you understand how significant and how important it is to know the truth, believe the truth, live in the truth, and understand the weapons that are being used against you and understand the weapons that are being used for you. If you can embrace these things, it will help you solidify the relationship that you have with your God. It will help you rest in his teeth. It will help you rest in his embrace. It will help you be at peace when you know that you are in him. The gospel is what defines this, and so you have to resolve this question. Without question, you have to resolve this. What is the gospel? Now, of course, I've done a number of programs where I address the subject of the gospel. Take a look at my radio archive. You'll find a program titled The Gospel. Listen to that program. Also in the series that I produced on forgiveness, the first two programs were designed to focus on the subject of the gospel and the importance of forgiveness as it relates to the gospel. I've done a number of programs on this subject, but I'll put one in here too, because it is so critical, especially to understand this in the context 
of spiritual warfare. But I am out of time in this program, and so I'm not going to be able to give the gospel presentation in this one. Instead, because I just have a minute left in this program, let me emphasize again the importance of recognizing that just because a person successfully casts out a demon from within another individual, just because that happens, that doesn't mean that they know the Lord, that it could very well be the case that this individual has been deceived into thinking that he successfully cast out a demon, but he didn't really do it. The demon left voluntarily in order to give the illusion that this took place, in order to defend or support an individual who will propagate doctrines that are not true, that will put people into bondage, that will be a greater bondage, than the demon could do by himself by possessing an individual. This is a very real thing. Consider what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 7. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, he said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I believe that what he means by that, by depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, is that they are not going to have entrance into the kingdom of heaven because they know him, because they have been resurrected, because they have believed the gospel, because they have been made alive. This is a person who has not been made alive. They have not really believed the real gospel. They have made an assumption that they were believing in the true gospel, but they were not. The Lord says that this is a person who is going to depart because they practice lawlessness. Now, how can you have a person who says that they follow Jesus and yet they practice lawlessness? This is not hard, but I will take some time in a future program in order to explain this in detail. Right now, I'm out of time. I have to give you a summary. The way that this happens is very simple. A person believes that they can live according to the law. They fail. They are then guilty of living according to lawlessness. This is a person who simply has a poor understanding of grace and the gospel. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net